Welcome to ReChurch. I'm Marshall Fant, the Director of Church Consulting and Strategic Planning for Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. My purpose is to encourage pastors and church leaders as you refocus, renew, and revitalize your churches. We've established this podcast to offer practical tips and suggestions as you equip disciples to make disciples. This is Marshall Fant with GFA Missions, next recording of ReChurch. Uh, we have a special guest today who's been with us before. Is Pastor Greg Baker from Utah. Greg, yes. welcome. Thank you for having me. So you pastor Fellowship Bible Church. Yes. In Eden, Utah. Yes. All right, so tell our listeners who may not know you uh, a little background. How long you been there, your wife, children, etc. Yeah, I've been in the, the Ogden Valley now about nine years. And uh, I have a wife and four kids. They go 10, 7, 5, and 2. Great. Yep, we also work with Pioneer Bible Camp. It's a ministry just right in our valley there. And uh, so, yeah, it's been an exciting nine years. Now, your valley, uh, you're close to Ogden. Mm-hmm. Yep. How many miles from Ogden just geographically so people can place you? Well, it depends. Well, over the, okay. <laughs> you, I, I, there's I, sort of a, yeah, yeah you got to go through the mountain or over the mountain. Depending on where you want to get in Ogden, you're looking at anywhere between 15 and 30 minutes. But about an hour from Salt Lake yes. to give people a general idea. Yeah, about an and hour And in north. your valley, how many people are there? Probably between fifteen and 20,000. And of those um, just percentages that would say they're LDS, associate with LDS? 80%. And about two-thirds are practicing. Okay. And so in the valley, your Bible church, one of the few gospel-preaching Yes. Churches there. Okay. Yeah. There is another gospel preaching church across the valley um, from us, but they draw from a completely different group of people. They've got a lot of folks that come up from Ogden. Okay. Whereas we're pretty much centered just in our valley. We have some folks that come up from Ogden, but we're, our percentages are kind of flipped around. Okay. So. Yeah. And when we interviewed you and your wife earlier, y'all have done a great job of assimilating the end of the community to make the Baker family. Fellowship Bible Church, all a part of the community. So again, if yes. people can go back and listen to that, of the different yes. ways you've done that at the same time, you know, taking advantage of what God opens mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, today's podcast is something I'm excited about because <laughs> this is a way that God is allowing you to duplicate, you know, how people can reach, um, of course, all by God's grace, yes. LDS. Yes. Explain what the word means, Sago Lily Foundation. Yes. Okay, well, explain where that name came from. There is some debate in Utah, and it's very fitting that Utahns can't even agree on how to say the name Sego or Sago, because it's hard to get Utahns to agree on anything. So in 1847, uh, after Joseph Smith died, about half of the, the saints, they would call them, you know, the Mormons, about half followed Joseph Smith's wife, Emma, and his son, Joseph Smith, Jr., that was the non-polygamous group. The polygamous group followed Brigham Young and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, and they came out to the Utah Territory. It wasn't a state yet, and that was in 1847. Okay. Now, that group, the Salt Lake group, quickly outgrew the group that remained in Missouri because of the polygamy. Well, when they arrived in the Salt Lake Valley in 1847, they, they almost starved to death. The Salt Lake Valley is a agriculturally it's odd Hmm. and they didn't really understand how to cultivate it so they ran out of food early and there were some Ute Indians in the area and they taught them how to boil and eat the bulbs of the seago lilies and 
the, uh, those who ate the seagull lilies were called bull beaters. They were made fun of. But now, if you're an LDS person and you have that pioneer heritage, right. that your, your ancestors were bull beaters, that's like another gold star on the docket. Okay. So we sort of take that bit of pioneer history. Mm -hmm. We are feeding Latter-day Saints, but instead of feeding them regular food, we're feeding them the bread of life. So any LDS person, from, especially from Utah, is yes. going to clearly identify with this wording. Absolutely. Uh, there's, yeah. You spell it for us so people, it's S-E-G-O. S-E-G-O, and most people say Sego, though if you said Sego, they'd be fine with that. Okay. So Sego, Sego Lily Foundation. Yes. All right, so this was established to go ahead and develop how this came to be, oh, the absolutely. background with the materials for evangelism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, so in Utah, we lack a couple of very distinct things. <laughs> uh, we lack resources, and we lack consistent contacts, opportunities into the LDS Church or into the lives of Latter-day Saints. Um, so when, when I come back, say, here to Greenville and I tell people that we start from scratch, what they think we mean is we go to the store and we buy bread and sugar and flour. What, what I mean is I'm going down to the tractor shop so I can plow my backyard. Right. And, um, you know, we're just starting from scratch. There is nothing. The nearest seminary is 12, 14 hours away. Mm -hmm. And so we just lack resources for church planning endeavors, for training up any Mormons that might come to know the Lord. And, you know, as we look at it, how do we start growing our own stuff? How do we start cultivating our own people? All right, can I pause you just a second? All right, oh, so sure. your background, you have a PhD. Yes. So you understand education. Mm -hmm. All right, but you're also a pastor. Yes. So you understand how to take theology and bring it to an understandable level where people can digest Theoretically, it. Theoretically, okay. yeah. <laughs> okay. But the, the best we pastors can. So I want to say, I think so our, our listeners need to know, I believe you're uniquely equipped both from the academic side of things mm -hmm. as well as the under-shepherd side of things to bring this together both to make it theologically very solid but also where at different stages of where people are you know spiritually mm -hmm. yes. able to understand and then take this material yeah. and then reproduce their life in Christ and others is that yes. a fair way to say it uh, I I mean, but I mean, I think from your background, that's the reason yeah. I wanted our listeners to understand both academically yeah. and pastorally or theologically yeah. uh, your perspective on things. Well, you know, by God's grace, He equips us and then moves us around to places. And uh, the the biggest thing that I think we misunderstand is that Mormons have a completely different worldview altogether. This is not a Western worldview. It's probably closer to an Eastern, like Chinese worldview. Okay. And so if we're going to effectively, like if we think of Utah as a mission field, what, what's the first thing GFA tells their missionaries to do? To start training pastors. Because uh, American missionaries don't make very good national pastors. Right. And so if we're really serious about winning Mormon land, then we need to be training up our Mormon converts to win and shepherd and disciple their own and speak into the unique Mormon worldview. And there's no mechanism right now to train pastors from a Mormon worldview in an orthodox, theologically sound way. All right. 
So let's take that a step further. Mm-hmm. Worldview, it's not just a definition of Jesus Christ. No. Okay, so that's what I want to make sure. So expand, if you would, just a few minutes before we go into the Sego Lily, uh, what the LDS worldview would be, because I know so many of us in the Bible-believing world thinks, okay, they just have a different view of Christ. Oh, no. All right, so would you just take a few minutes and explain, Greg, that, yes. that LDS worldview? Yeah, the, the biggest difference is that well, there's two primary differences. The biggest difference, and where it all starts, is that Latter-day Saints affirm truth with their emotions, and they call it a burning in the bosom, okay? Through the years, it's gotten to be what we would call existential. Mm-hmm. They affirm theological truth with their emotions, and medical truth, they, they realize that, you know, it has nothing to do with their emotions. But when it comes to their thoughts about God, if their hearts don't confirm it with a positive feeling or if they have a negative reaction to something, it does go the other way. So, like, let's say a Mormon missionary comes over to your house and you're a born-again Christian and you say harsh words to them and you chase them off. All you have done is given them a negative feeling which makes them assume what you have said is utterly false. So truth is dependent on the experience. Truth is dependent on the knower, how they feel about it, how it makes them feel in the moment. And that's the biggest difference, that truth is fluid, theological truth is fluid. They don't have a mechanism to control personal revelation. Now this, the phrase you use, burning in the bosom, that's yes. a, to them that is a theological term. That is a theological term from, from where? the Doctrines and Covenants. Okay. And, um, Which is one of their, what they would consider inspired writings. Yes, it's one of their four inspired writings, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrines and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and the King James Bible. The second biggest difference is they believe in a theological system called divine progression, okay? That God was once a man like we are, and that we can progress to become God's like Heavenly Father is. And this LDS scripture is actually silent, utterly silent on this issue. It's only found in one sermon that Joseph Smith preached. It was the last sermon he preached before he died. It's called the King Follett Discourse, if you're curious and you want to go read about that. Um, But an entire theological structure has been built out of this. God was once a man. He had a God too. He progressed to become deity. He and Heavenly Mother live near a star called Kolob. Spell Kolob for me. K-O-L-O-B. If you get your hands on a Mormon hymnal, you could Google it. They have a hymn they love to sing. It's called, If I Could Hie to Kolob. They sing it at general conference. It's a favorite. Well, so Heavenly Father Father and Heavenly Mother, they make spirit babies. And it's a nine-month process, just like it is here on Earth. So poor Heavenly Mother has been pregnant, you know, how many ever billion times. And we are brothers and sisters in the sense that we're all spirit children of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. And this notion that you can progress to become a God utterly alters the worldview Mm. because a a good Mormon fella who uh, was born into a Mormon home, went to BYU, served his mission, He genuinely believes, number one, that he was one of God's champions in this pre-existent state. He genuinely believes that he possesses priesthood authority, and you don't. 
he genuinely believes that he will become a god someday. So how do you begin to humble a person to see their sinfulness so that they can cry out to Jesus Christ in their need? And so these two factors, that they affirm truth emotionally and that God himself is a created being, or when we deal with Mormons, we distinguish. We call their God Heavenly Father. We call our God the Lord God. Okay. And that helps us because they're not the same person. Right. And that helps us keep our terms straight. But those two factors are huge. And most Christians, and we address this in our curriculum, when they deal with Mormons, they talk to them like they're Jehovah's Witnesses. The Mormons aren't Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> and as obvious as that might seem to say, the majority of Christians treat their Mormon friends as though they are. And they start with Jesus Christ, right. which is fantastic, but... But that's not where... That's not the best place to start. The best place to start is with Revelation. Not in the book of Revelation. Yes. Uh, what? Yes, what truth is. Right. Okay, but the revelation from God. Yes. Not the last book of the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, to make a long story short, what, what we've tried to do with the Seagull Lily Foundation, and we call it a foundation and not a ministry. Okay. Because that's a dead giveaway to Latter-day Saints that it's evangelical. We're trying to... Re- a lot of what we do is trying to remove these offenses, these immediate yeah, sure. stumbling blocks. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you call something a ministry, they know right away it ain't Mormon. Um, uh, so what we're trying to do is create something that answers both of those needs, that gets us into gospel relationships with Latter-day Saints, and then can build some resources that we can use for training ministers, for church planning endeavors, so on and so forth. All right, so the Sega Lilly Foundation, as you look at it on the uh, SegaLillyFoundation.org, so we've got it pulled up right here in front of us. It describes a little bit about the Sega Lilly Bible study, who we are, and how to connect. Yes. So if I'm someone that has a, um, if I'm in your church, Mm -hmm. how would I be trained to use this material? Oh, that's a great question. Um, In fact, we just did a training seminar at our church. We call the curriculum Discovering God Together. It's a six-part series where you sit down with your LDS friend and lead them through these studies. Each study with your LDS friend takes about 45 minutes, and it's usually an hour to an hour and a half of preparation. And we strongly encourage born-again Christians who use it to just jump right in. You need to know far less about Mormon theology than you think you need to, okay? okay? And so a person, we've tried to design them to where a person can come in totally cold, not knowing a thing about Mormonism, and educate themselves well enough in an hour and a half to lead their friend in an effective 45-minute study. So you said six steps, or I've forgotten, those six parts. Six parts to the study. Right, so yep. is each each study considered one part? Yes. And we realize that lots of times you may not get through that one part, but it's developed on an ongoing... Yes, it's developed uh, in an ongoing relationship, and the right. lessons build on themselves. And there was a church planter in Utah named Ira Ransom, phenomenal church planter. He came, he was there 60 years, and he passed away about three years ago. There was no curriculum, nothing to help born-again Christians when he got there. So he took a job at a filling station, and he worked at the filling station at night, and then he planted his church during the day. Wow. But he was a wonderful conversationalist, and he created his own curriculum, which I have found is understands the Mormon mind as it relates to gospel truth better than any other thing I've read. 
most of the Mormon materials out there that you'll find either give way too much ground on the gospel or on the other extreme they successfully destroy the Mormon worldview but don't do anything in getting them closer to the true gospel. So how do you get inside that worldview and begin to touch on certain points? Well, Ira basically gave us a roadmap mm. um, through 60 years of trial and error. And his stuff was uh, very dated. It's hard to navigate. But once you get into it, into the guts of it, you realize how wise it is. And um, we, we've tested our, this curriculum lots of times. We've Over the last 18 months, we've had pastors mm. testing it. I've been testing it because... You know how it is. You can you can have all these ideas you want about a gospel conversation, but until you roll it out in front of an actual Mormon, you don't know. Yeah. yeah, you don't know. Well, the first Mormon family I sat down with, they asked me three questions uh, through this first study. In every case, the next slide answered the question. Next slide, what do you mean? Is it page or what yes, do you mean by that? that's a good question. Um, we set up our study digitally. It's a multimedia app. So you go onto our website, you download the study, and it's very easy to navigate. It's it's. To so use your iPhone, right? You can use your iPhone. What I do is I, I have it on my phone, and I cast it to their smart TV. Okay. And so what they see on their TV, I have on my phone, and it's forward and backward arrow. I've, mm. I, I am low tech, and I have pestered our tech people to keep it as basic as possible. And so it is forward arrow or backward arrow. And uh, it, it's a really cool interface. It makes PowerPoint look ancient. Um, and I don't know how they did it, but they just did a terrific job. A fellow named Derek Pontius and a fellow named Chris Pennington, he's our associate pastor, yeah. did a phenomenal job. So it comes in two parts. You have your multimedia presentation that you work through with your friend, and then you're given a teacher's guide or what we call an equipping guide. And that's what you study from. So you study the equipping guide like about a couple hours before. Yes. Yes. And during this time, also, of course, praying. Because yes. none of this is going to happen oh, without absolutely. God removing the blinders. Yes. So as you're praying and working through this, and then you sit down every, probably right. every week or try to do weekly, yes. or is that, would that be the goal? We, we've made it every week ago. I've never had it happen or seen anybody make it happen every week because yeah. life gets oh, in yeah. the way. Sure. But, we, but just an ongoing yeah, yeah. regularly, and you're building relationships with yes. this family at the same exactly. time. exactly. The, the brilliance of Ira's structure is that he covers the material in the correct order in ways that even though I've lived there almost a decade now, I wouldn't have put it in that order. Mm. In fact, in my infinite wisdom, I changed some things. And then when I got it in front of actual Mormons, I went back home and changed it back to the way Ira had it. Okay. So he really just did a phenomenal job. Now, did he have about six parts or did you... No. It was just a big mess. Okay. It was like 150 pages and his was multimedia too. See... If you're a Mormon listener right now, if, if you're a Mormon and you get your hands on this, please understand I, this observation comes from a heart of love, okay? The LDS Church does not teach their people to read well. Mm. They can read, of course, but when it comes to how they read theological material, it's a struggle. And so Ira picked up on this, and he made a picture book. Okay. And so our materials kind of follow in that. The scriptures that we use are short, succinct. Another thing we do with the multimedia is, n number one, born-again Christians don't want to memorize a bunch of Book of Mormon sections. Right, okay. That, it's hard enough to memorize the Bible, much less the Book of Mormon. Right. 
so, but you can't effectively evangelize without having some comparing mm -hmm. Mormonism and Christianity. So in our multimedia presentations, we tap into LDS resources. Because even if you quoted, say, 2 Nephi 2523, they wouldn't believe you, and they don't think you have the authority to quote it. And so our multimedia presentation, you say, well, we, there's an important verse here, 2 Nephi 2523, that we need to talk about. You click the button, or you press the screen, and there's a, technically it's a video, but what it looks like is you scroll to the LDS website, pull up that passage, okay. it highlights and embosses, and then you read it straight off the screen. And I've had many conversations dead end when I try to quote LDS materials, doing it this way where they can see definitively it's coming from their own resources. It furthers the conversation, and the born-again Christian doesn't have to go to all the trouble of finding them, memorizing them, knowing where to look for them. It's all packaged right there. So everything in the SegoLilyFoundation.org, everything is there yes. that the person would need to go to. That's exactly right. We, we want to prepackage everything to where all you have to do is have the multimedia presentation and the equipping guide. The equipping guide will teach you how to use, the, we call it the discovery series. Mm -hmm. The equipping guide will teach you how to use the discovery series and you use it. One important note, you do not take the equipping guide with you to the study. Um, nobody likes being talked about behind their back. Right. And that's how it would feel to mm -hmm. a Latter-day Saint. We've really interacted with our users as they've worked with it. And part of the reason it's been so long in delaying it is we've just tried to improve the user experience. And um, they're reporting back to us now that even without the safety net of the equipping guide, the multimedia presentation brings up the study sufficiently to where they feel comfortable using it. All right, this may be rabbit trail, but I would be sensitive. Do you have the study in your home, their home, at a neutral location? Or um, does it matter? I haven't found that it matters. Here's the key, though. When your LDS friend expresses the slightest amount of frustration, doubt, second thoughts, you have to pounce on that. Because they are taught that doubt or questioning is a sign of personal unworthiness. Mm. This is so big. There's a huge swath of Mormons out there that are searching for truth, but it's kind of like a freshman dorm student who doesn't know how to make the first move with a girl that he likes, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, how does he ask her out, you know, whatever. Yeah. They, they don't know how to do that. And so one of the things that they'll say to you is they'll express some concern, some doubt, whatever, and that's when you pounce. And you say, you know, I've recently come across some material that I think would be really helpful for you. It's written just for Latter-day Saints. The deal that I make with people is I say, will you do the first study with me? And if you don't like it, no, no problem. Right. You don't have to do the second one. And we've had a couple of folks bounce after the second one. They just, that's a little too much for them, and that's okay. But but you don't know if they'll come back later. No, no, yeah, but most of them yeah. do. Most yeah. of them do. What you have to bank on is if they express any doubts at all, there's a whole lot behind that. You're looking at the tippity tip mm -hmm. of the iceberg. 
And that's them trying to make the first move to search for some sort of truth. All right, so when you're saying expressing doubt, not in what you're presenting, but in what they had believed? Yes. Okay. Or how the church has behaved, what a recent, like, the, the LDS church is always putting out press releases, you know, and they might, they might express frustration with that, or they might even begin the conversation just by asking you about your church, and that's, mm-hmm. that's a nice little lead-in, and then you can ask a probing question, and if they say anything other than wholehearted support, then that's an effective time to probe. And, and how would you probe? Give me just a couple of follow-ups. Oh, that's a great that's a great question. Um, so I have a friend. I won't say his name. He uh, is studying to be a medical doctor. He's a he's Latter Day Saint, and um, he he was very curious about how I got my calling. Mm-hmm. Calling is a big word in the LDS life, the life of a general LDS person. And so I just started talking to him, and I asked him how how are things going with you in your church? Oh, they're going okay. Well, I said, well, that doesn't sound totally convincing, you know. And he said, well, you know, when I was on my mission, I got a lot of questions I couldn't answer. Mm. And that was my opportunity. And so how did you follow up with that? I said, oh, what were some of those questions? Okay. And he, he answered me, I was like, well, those are tough questions. And, you know, actually, the reason you couldn't answer those questions is because, correct me if I'm wrong, you have a little different understanding of truth. Mm. That you, you affirm truth with your emotions, right? You know, they would say, I don't, I wouldn't put it that way, but yeah. And then we're off and running. And I, you know, I actually have some, I have a Bible study that mm. I think would be really effective for you. Now, this is also very... Do you use the word Bible? Yes. You do? Okay. Yes, we use the word Bible study. This is so important, actually. What I'm about to say next is probably the most important thing I've said so far. Mormons, true blue temple-going Mormons, do not talk to me as a pastor, period. If they do, they have come a long way. Because at 18, 17, 18, 19, every Mormon goes through something called an endowment ceremony. And during that endowment ceremony, they used to have live actors, but now it's a video. And Satan himself warns these Mormons about to be endowed not to talk to Christian minister. Well, I'm Christian minister. And so they're scared to death to talk to Christian minister. So it is so important that our laity be trained because they're the ones that a run-of-the-mill Mormon will trust. Versus you. Versus me. Or any pastor. Yes. So, so when we read in Ephesians that pastors and teachers are for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, that is especially poignant in Utah and how we have to be training our laity for the work of evangelism. All right, so let's just recap. So the foundation mm-hmm. is based on a word most Mormons should readily understand. The Sego lilies. The Sego yes. lilies. Okay, yes. so the Sego lilies is part of their heritage. Yes, and they're very proud of their pioneer heritage. So really this is aimed two ways. You can take a pastor to uh, train his people or to make this available, mm-hmm. but also you've worded it in a way that if a LDS person may be searching, if God is drawing them, yes. this is something that would draw their attention. Yes, it, it is a bit complicated. Okay. Um, the Discovering God Together series is for born-again Christians. Got it. That's so been, really it's equipping them yes. to reach the LDS friends. Now, the Seagull Lily Foundation wants to, and this curriculum has been such an extensive project. You know, it's just 
me and our associate pastor in our basements, you know. <laughs> so don't think of like corporate offices. Um, highly editing times gets interrupted by diaper changes yeah. needing to take place, you know. And Chris Pennington is your Yes, Chris Pennington okay. is our associate pastor, and we both work out of our basement. But uh, right now we've just focused on this curriculum to equip Christians. Our next several big projects are aimed directly to the Latter-day Saint himself. Okay. Um, so we've had some Latter-day Saints get their hands on our material, and having a born-again Christian friend work through them is a vital component. They'll want to hide mm-hmm. and go dissect it and read it by themselves. That will not ultimately be effective for them. Um, they need a born-again friend to come along and teach them, like Aquila and Priscilla did Apollos. Great burden. Thank you. If people want to email you, Mm-hmm. How would they get in touch with you? Yeah, just visit our website, seagullilyfoundation.org, and we've got a little contact us right there on the page. We're going to roll out, maybe by the time this podcast is produced, we'll have it available for sale. We're really close to being able to sell the curriculum. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been part of the idea of building resources, and if we give the Christian community something of high quality, I don't think they'll mind the investment. So if I have an LDS friend, mm-hmm. and I'm burdened for them, as we should, Yes. Uh, we now have resources. Yes. And if you devote a couple hours a week into preparation. Yes. And pray through that and then engage your LDS friend. Is yes. That, is that fair? That That's very fair. We want to get that prep time down to 60 minutes. Yeah. I don't know that that's possible, but we're hoping to get that down. Well, I think if you can do two hours a week yep. to change the eternity of one soul. That's right. I mean, God is so good. You know what we found? Much of what we're doing is evangelizing Christians. We're teaching Christians Christianity and teaching them how to present that Christianity in a Mormon context. So this is a great tool Mm -hmm. to both strengthen our walk with the Lord as well as uh, presenting the truth to someone that needs it. Yes. So, for example, you'll, you'll talk to your Mormon friend about the Trinity, okay? Well, why is the Trinity important? Why is the Trinity necessary for our salvation? I would venture to say that most Christians would struggle to answer that question. Well, we need a propitiation the size of the wrath of a holy God. So think of it like pouring the Pacific Ocean into a drinking glass. If the drinking glass is of insufficient size, some of that water is going to spill out. And when you're talking about the eternal wrath of a holy God, we need a propitiation Mm. sufficient to quench it. And so when we start talking about the Trinity with our Mormon friends, we're not talking about the arcane ramblings of ivory tower theologians. We're talking about the very essence of our salvation. And when we start explaining it in those terms, we've taken a complex Trinitarian concept and we've actually turned it back into a gospel opportunity. Mm. And so these are some of the things we're trying to teach Christians how to do. Laid out for them. Yes. You call the equipper's guide. What do you call that? Equipping Uh, guide. Equipping Uh, guide. Discovering God together. Yes. Through this website. Through the Seagull Lily Foundation. And all they got to do is go there. S-E-G-O Lily Foundation.org. That's right. Greg, thanks for your investment in the lives of others, and thanks for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank Anything you, Marsh. Anything else you want to add? Uh, um, we could talk no. forever, hey. right? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's exciting. Please pray for us. Prayer is the essential component, as you've alluded to many times. Yeah, and I would encourage our listeners that if, in Salt Lake's a popular vacation spot. Oh, yeah. Uh, I would encourage you to look up Pastor Greg Baker, Fellowship Bible Church in Eden, Utah. Yes. And visit, and it will will change the way you pray 
for people Absolutely. in Utah. So I would encourage people to We do have that. three ski resorts in our valley. Come ski, I'll yeah. ski with you, and we'll have a good time, and you can call it ministry if you want. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> great. Thank you so much. Thank you. You're listening to ReChurch, a podcast of Gospel Fellowship Association Missions. If you would like more information about our ministry or how we may assist you and your church, visit us at gfamissions.org slash consulting.